would like to read from Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, the first 12 verses. Um, Don't panic. I will only focus on one verse. Those of you who know me would say, oh my goodness, we will be here a while. Beginning in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he said to them and to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And the star which had been seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream... Not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Father, we come now to hear from you. Give us ears to hear. Father, please, Lord, as these men, these wise men, these Magi, they came seeking this child. And when he was found, they bowed. And offered worship. Father may we. Clear our lives. And our minds. And bow. And offer worship. This glorious night. In Christ's name. Amen. Brian read Isaiah. Chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. I've had people ask me in the past. Well Terry with all that you've been through. All you've seen. And all of you walked through. Why do you believe? Why are you so steadfast that this book is true? How do you know that the Koran isn't true? How do you know the Book of Mormon isn't true? How do you know these other books aren't true? Very simple. Isaiah ministered for 53 years. He was alive for 53 years, basically. Okay, His prophecies are to the detail of Christ. Okay, He's not as good as Daniel. Daniel picked the day that he would die. And that in there still creeps me out. But anyway, okay. 
But when I look at Isaiah, I'm looking at someone speaking of something in the future. And he was he served from 739 to 686 B.C. He was speaking of things that he only hoped for. Same with Daniel, same with Moses, same with Abraham. And my question has always been, how do you take that person and they have that detail? I know a lot of people say, well, I can tell you, you know what? You can't tell me who's going to win the World Series this year. I guarantee you, you can't tell me. All right. And yet they pick the detail of the birth of this child. Really? They're just lucky. Okay. So is Daniel. Uh, Daniel, if you ever spend time in the book of Daniel, Daniel just, you'll wear out a spot right there on the side of your head doing this. How did he, what the? When I think about this text, I am in true awe of it. Because (laughs) I have watched what we do with these quote-unquote three wise men. I just read you the text. How many were there? I don't know. Okay, their names was not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I do believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel had influence on the lineage of these people, though. Why were they looking for Messiah? These men came out. The word magi is literally a word that you and I would translate magician. They were into astronomy. They were into astrology. And if you really look at them historically, they were a blend of Babylonian, which would be Iraqi, and Medo-Persian, which would be Iranian. And these... This lineage of people, this group of people spent time studying the stars, listening to God and trying to know what God was doing. That's what they did. They were literally in historical background classified as kingmakers. If these guys showed up, you had some royalty going on. And it's funny here because they showed up in Jerusalem and the Romans had put into place as a ruler over Israel, a guy named Herod. Okay. Herod was not Jewish and the Jews were a little cranky about that. Okay. And all of a sudden magi show up and what are they looking for? King of the Jews. It's funny, it says, Herod was troubled. Really? And it says, all of Jerusalem with him. Yeah, you betcha. You can bet a... uh, And here's a little note. This here in $50 to get you Starbucks coffee. Um, I know for a fact at this time, Herod had sent the Jerusalem garrison north to squell an uprising in Galilee. He didn't have no soldiers. Okay, he had his guards, but he didn't have a garrison. 
All right. When a Magi showed up, normally they were surrounded by 1,000 cavalry. So if there were three or more, you're looking at five to 10,000 mounted soldiers roll up to your throne and says, where's the king? <laughs> and your soldiers ain't there. And it says Herod was troubled and so was Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. When the king of your city is troubled, your city is troubled. Guaranteed. And that's a fascinating thought when I, I look at this because I look at these men and they have traveled a long ways. And let's be realistic. That area is not noted for its great highways and train systems and airplane systems and smooth traveling. It is nothing but desert. That's all it is. It is God forsaken country. The only thing I can think that you would ever want to put there is maybe oil. Oh, wait, he did. <laughs> right? There's nothing. It ain't like you're going to tear something up. Oh, what if you scar the land? Look at it. No one would know. And they traveled this. This is a few weeks after the birth of Christ. Joseph and Mary had moved to a house. They had moved out of the manger. They had gone to the manger. And the reason they had gone to the manger, they were there for the census. Okay. The census is always said, uh, you know the census. You call it tax day. I know we're going to celebrate Christmas since it's December 25th. But you'd have been better off if you'd have probably wrapped that sucker and stuck it into about April the 15th. Yeah, I know. There's just something about trying to celebrate Jesus at tax time. These men show up with their bodyguards. They are classified in history as kingmakers. They show up in Jerusalem and they are looking for the king of the Jews. These magis had seen a star in the east. And everybody says, well, what do you think that was? That's simple. I think it was a star in the east. Well, is it an allegory? No, it was a star in the east. Why? They had been looking for it. They had been expecting it. I believe that under the Babylonian and the Persian captivities of Israel, that the Israelis, the Jewish people, had expressed to them, these are what we are looking for in our Messiah. And these men saw it, and these men traveled far to witness it. And it brings me to what I want to teach on. I want to teach on three points tonight. And I think it's going to be a little different than what we usually do at Christmas. Okay? I want to look at the worship. We get so geared up with what's going on at Christmas that it literally becomes, I want to worship me. And I think we've missed it. That are we really looking at it? I, I kind of titled this thing, The Gift of Gold. 
And, and I, I hope I can make this clear. And it comes in three points. One is the dignity of worship. One is the purity of worship. And the third is the currency of worship. The dignity of worship. Verse 11. They fell down to the ground. These are kingmakers. They have a thousand troops with each one. Scholars maintain that the Magi might have been kings. Maybe. Psalm 72, 10 and 11, Isaiah 30, or Isaiah 60, verse 3, said the kings of Tarshish and the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will bring and offer gifts. Is that who it was? All these kings and or king makers, they fell to the ground for this child. All the kings shall fall down before him and all the nations shall serve him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Gentiles shall come to the light. Will they not? Whether or not these were kings or king makers does not alter the fact that there was a dignity associated with the worship of these magi. I would challenge you this night, brothers and sisters, you would do well to emulate them. Because, see, there was a dignity in their observance of worship. They fell down. They presented him gold. Listen, there's n- they couldn't bring their gold any other way. They had transported it with their soldiers and their guards. They were now in the presence of the King of Kings. They were now in the presence of the Lord of Lords. What do you do with your gold? However dimly they may have apprehended his greatness, they had an understanding to fall down before him. 1 Chronicles 16.29 says, It is only the beauty of holiness. Psalm 45, we have this wonderful description and I will read it to you. So the king, speaking of the bridegroom in worship and adoration. So the king, quote, So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. And the daughter of Tyre, will be there with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within her palace. Her clothing is woven gold and she shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors with gladness and rejoicing 
they shall enter the king's palace. That's 45, 11 through 15, the book of Psalms. That's amazing text when you think about it. But let me offer you something to think about. We, the bride of Christ, should approach the bridegroom, the heavenly king, with reverence, beauty, dignity. What a far cry this is from, I heard somebody call it, pop prayers. Sentimental songs, sloppy sermons, and irreverent services services in our present generation. Unquote. Pure gold cannot be associated with anything less than the dignity of Christian worship. Pure gold. They fell down and worshipped him. These are royalty. These are the ones who are quote unquote in power. That dignity had a reverence of worship. The word worship means to revere, to pay homage. It is basically two Greek words. Um that signify the action of a kiss. That's what it means. Have you ever seen it where they kiss the Pope's ring? That's where they get that from. And kissing his ring. Okay, they won't even let me in Italy. So that's where it's to pay homage to. It's a definition of reverence. It has in mind the reverence of allegiance. It is the issuing of a heart of love and devotion. That's what worship is. The dignity of the association demands that we give the best because of the association. What an indictment to the church today. Our approach to worship How? We often hurry to church without preparation of heart or mind. It is a wonder that God ever meets us in power and in blessing. Think about what we're doing right now. It's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Quick, light a candle. Really? You know what? There's a great deal to be said for the practice of our ancestors who spent most of Saturday evening examining themselves in light of God's word before coming to worship him on the Lord's day. Do we bring our gift of gold when we enter the house of prayer? Guy named uh, John S.B. Menzel said this, quote, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before Him, His glory proclaimed. 
with gold of obedience and incense of lowliness, kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. Unquote. There's some guys out there that can write some stuff, ain't they? I read an article. Let's see if I've got it here. Uh, I had a, a very dear friend of mine. He's in glory now. Uh, he was raised on the uh, mission field in Africa. His dad was a, a missionary to Africa, and he was a second-generation minister to Africa. This was a long time ago, people. And they were talking about an African native away from his village. He met some missionaries, and he learned for the first time of God who loves men. He went back to his tribe carrying the book. That's what he called it, the book. It tells of God. But he was unable to read it. When he told the tribe of God, they wanted to do God honor. But how should they worship him? They laid the book on a stump and they sat around it in silence. And in a meeting that might have reminded us of sort of the old Quaker quiet meeting, they call them. Did such worship touch the heart of God? All they did was lay the Bible on a stump. The whole tribe. I'm sure that it did. I'm sure that God was honored by their worship. Second thing is, is that the purity of worship. They fell down and they worshiped. They opened their treasures and they presented to him gold. Throughout scripture, gold is regarded as the most heavy, dense, pure, valuable of all metals. God's word is compared to it. It is in the image of Job chapter 23, verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Sound doctrine and evangelical obedience is compared to it in 1 Corinthians 3.12. Christ and the riches of His gifts and graces is compared to it in Revelations chapter 3, verse 18. Purifying and beautifying operations of the Holy Spirit are compared to it in Psalms 45, verse 13. And the streets of New Jerusalem are compared to it in Revelations 21, 18 and 21. So you see gold used a lot. But I would ask, in that purity, is it the purity of the faith that we worship? See, these guys saw a star. They presented gifts to him. What was the first gift? Gold. Gold. I'm sure that these magi did not possess the Old Testament scriptures as we have today. But they have some tradition. Again, the, they were based on astrology and they were based on astronomy. Um, they were looking for a sign that God was about to break into history and to do something. The prophecy of... Now, this is going to get you. Ready? Are you sitting down? Oh, you are. The prophecy of Balaam in Numbers twenty four seventeen. 
A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and the batter of the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. That was from Balaam. We all like Balaam, don't we? Actually, I was more fond of his donkey, but. Whatever we can say about these men, it is evident that they had a faith which God both honored and rewarded. A faith that had been tested and a faith that had been through trial. These men would have traveled through varying dangers and various encounters with animals and situations and thieves, uh, whether it was Mesopotamia, Chaldea, Arab, uh, Arabia, or whatever. They had to come through a nasty place to get to where they were, and they were carrying gold. And I'm thinking that anybody carrying gold on horseback has a big target on them. When I think about... Peter in first Peter chapter one, verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, which perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ, unquote. Peter had it figured out. See, Peter pictured in his mind the ancient goldsmiths. And what did they do? They would put the crude gold ore into blast furnaces, a crucible. And the mass would become liquefied in the heat. And the impurities would rise to the surface and they would be skimmed off. And when the metalist was able to see his reflection in this liquid Gold. Then he knew that its contents were pure. When God looks at you, do you understand what he's doing? He is purifying you so he can see his reflection. And sometimes it's hot fire. Crucible of discipline. Sins is cleansed and faith is purified and the slag of unbelief. I used to work for Armco Steel and I was a switchman for the train and they would take the slag out in, in train cars and they would roll it over to the hill and, and they had, this was a flat area. <laughs> they had these mountains of slag and I kept thinking if you could just Find something to do with slag, you'd be rich. Because there were piles and piles and piles of it. And it was all the impurities that come off the steel as they were making the steel. And I mean, there was train cars that would just go on and on all night long. I worked the night shift. And you just watch them hauling it out, hauling it off, hauling it off. And I thought, if you could just find something to do with slag. And um, Armco Steel has moved out of the area now. And they still have these great mountains of... Slag. Kind of like the church. Look, a mountain of slag. (laughs) And the fires are being turned on so that we can see he who is purifying us. Is this the kind of gold that we are bringing to him on Sunday as an act of worship? Our attitude of daily worship? 
purity in our worship? Because remember, these magis traveled. These were men of renown. And they traveled. And when they found this baby, what did they do? Fell down. Gave him gold. The purity of our life and our worship. When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. You ever thought about that? When you think about Jesus Christ, do you rejoice exceedingly? Or you wish I would hurry up and get done so I can figure out what my wife's ham looks like and or the great debate on do we open a gift tonight? Matthew 5, 8 says, The pure in heart shall see God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know what? These Magi's lives directed themselves to be recipients of a supernatural revelation. They saw the babe in Bethlehem. Not only a king, they saw God. Their lives symbolized the pure gold that offered to that Christ child. Job 23.10 says, He knows the way that I take, and when He tests me, I shall come forth as gold. Romans 12.1, we are to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, the gift that He brings in Christ Jesus at Christmas time. But there is the currency of worship. Currency of worship. They opened their treasure. They presented him gold. In the Old Testament, um, you will see throughout the Old Testament in history of the old of that time, religious sacrifices and offerings of priests that were brought to God, uh, whether the tabernacle, the tent, or the temple. Um, you see, they brought gold. They brought gold. The gold to Judaism was the currency of worship. I remember reading Josephus. And Josephus, they had, had taken a vine and they would put it on the eastern wall of the temple. Okay, a, a, a grapevine. And what they did is they took gold and they hammered it out so thin that it became like aluminum foil. And they laced around the leaves in the vine of the temple. All right. Josephus says on a clear day at a sunrise that would hit that gold on the east wall of the temple and it could be seen for hundreds of miles. Remember Jesus made, are you swearing on the gold of the temple or he who is of the temple? I know, you guys all thought the same thing I thought. I ought to ripped off the vine. <laughs> Just a little piece. The Lord of hosts. And Haggai 
chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Do we present our tithes to our king or do we present our tithes to us? What do we do? See, we call it worship. I mean, we put it in our bulletin here at the church. The worship of giving. Really? Really? Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Old Testament times the tithe represented a tenth of a man's income. Did you hear what I said? A tenth of a man's income. The principle of giving precedes the Mosaic law. Did you know that? Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, the king priest who blessed him in Genesis 14.20. Jacob, after he had the vision at Bethel, about a tenth of all God ever gave him. Should God protect and provide his every need. The Greeks, the Romans, the Carthaginians, and the Arabians all tithe one-tenth percent, even to this day. The principle never was rescinded under grace. Did you know that? If God demanded a tithe under the law, he deserves more than that under grace. Second Corinthians 9, 7. And everybody says, what are you you're going to ask for an offering? Nope. Do we present our offerings to our king? The writer of Hebrews says, do good and share. For with sacrifices, God is well pleased. Hebrews 13, 16. God complained of being robbed in Malachi's day. Malachi 3.8. It was connection to the tithes and the offering. He says the tithes, as we have seen, is a tenth. I have not seen. Man's income is what? Is what? It's difficult. My brothers and my sisters. It's reading about a guy. I'll tell you his name after I'm done. I'll tell you the story about giving. A guy was a, a candy maker. Okay, he, he, he made candy. And he said, Lord, if I am successful at this, which I, I'm sure that each of us has, has, has said this at one time or another, Perhaps. If I'm successful at this, um, I will give you um, a tenth of everything that I have. And it won't be based on as I go. It will be here's the tenth now, the tenth now, the tenth now. And he, he called it his Jacob pledge. And he literally went down and opened a bank account. And it was called the JP account, the Jacob Pledge. And once a month, 
a tenth went into the Jacob pledge. Okay, and he did that uh, three generations after his death. I don't know what has happened to it since. You know what the guy's last name was? Hershey. And he gave it to the work of the Lord, a tenth. That's a lot of chocolate. I don't care how you cut that thing. So when I look at this, I think that gift of gold symbolizes dignity. It, di- it signifies the purity of worship and the currency of worship. We remember this Christ child this night. And the wonder of his sovereignty, the wonder of his deity. Does it? inspire us to fall down before him and worship him with our gifts of gold? Shall we disappoint him or shall we gladden his heart at this Christmas time? Read you a little thing here from a dear friend of mine. Let us worship Christ our King with treasures that we bring. Let us offer him our best Only then our hearts can rest. Christ is worthy to receive from his people who believe. Power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, praise, and glory bright. Let us then before him bow and adore him here and now. Let us give him love's pure gold as the wise men did of old. Written by a man named Stephen Olford. I will close with this. We have a ministry in India. A missionary that we support over there told me of a woman holding in her arms a weak and whining infant. While at her side stood this beautiful, healthy child. This missionary saw her walk to the banks of the Ganges River and throw the young robust youngster to the crocodiles as an offering and then turned home again still clutching the sick child to her chest tears running down her cheeks she he had to stop her to question her shocking actions overwhelmed him However, she proudly replied in defense of her conduct. Oh, sir. We always give our gods the best. Fascinating understatement, isn't it? As we think about the Christ child this day, I would ask you the same question. Do you give your God the best? Let's pray. Father, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see as we think about this time, this day, this age. And Father, all the distractions that are before us. Father, I think about these magi. Lord, may we be as them. 
regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the distance, regardless of the terrain, and regardless of the dangers. May we seek our Savior and give Him our best. Father, as Peter has told us, we are purified as gold. Father, may that be what we give unto Him who came and lived with us, Father, and who died and rose again and is seated at the right hand. May we give the best to Your glory and praise. Amen.